Hey everyone, I'm Dan Cortler, the host of TED Climate. Each episode, we unpack the problems and solutions of climate change. This season of the show, we're getting into some big ideas that make us optimistic about the future, like meat grown from cells and leather made from mushrooms. And the best part? We look at how building a greener future can be an upgrade instead of a sacrifice. Find and follow TED Climate wherever you're listening to this. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to What on Earth? I'm Lauren McGinnis in Yellowknife, in for Laura Lynch. In spring, the snow melts and the ice breaks up on the Decho, the Mackenzie River, in the Northwest Territories. But last May, the river looked different. Towns along the Mackenzie watched as the water reached levels few people could remember. It flowed over its banks, through streets, and into homes. The water flooded the tiny community of Thek Edele, Jean Marie River, where two young sisters were the first to spot the danger. Me and my sister, we saw the flood happening, and then it started covering the road, so then we, we told everyone. Downstream, it flooded the village of Fort Simpson, where the Liard River feeds into the Mackenzie. In Dene, this place is called Tlidlekwang, where two rivers meet. I traveled to Fort Simpson the day after the water peaked and camped with evacuees in what they called Tent City. People gathered around campfires to stay warm, to cook, to support each other. Now, almost a year later, it's clear that life beside this powerful river looks different in a warmer world, more vulnerable to the ebbs and flows of the water, to the movements of the ice. Climate change is now making the frequency and severity of floods worse. Estimates show that Canada could see 10 times more flood damage by the year 2100. It's a reality the United Nations is again urging communities to grapple with. The UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change has released its latest report. It focuses on this issue of vulnerability and how to build for a warmer and less stable world. The report makes it clear communities and Indigenous people must be at the centre of the change. It's a turning point that people in Fort Simpson are dealing with right now. I remember walking through Fort Simpson just after the floodwaters had receded, stepping through muck and debris, walking past massive chunks of ice deposited by the river and streets and yards of these neighborhoods. That's when I bumped into Derek Erasmus. He was wearing rubber boots, carrying a bucket. He invited me into his home as he cleaned up the mess. So the water came right up like a meter up on our in our garage in the backyard, so that's pretty bad. Well, and our yard's a mess. This this uh this pile of siding was over here and our yard wasn't wasn't a disaster zone before. That was last May, and I wanted to check in to see how Derek and his wife Julia are doing. Thinking back on that time in May, Julia Erasmus worried about the impact it might have on her children trying to prepare our six-year-old for what was what she was going to see on their drive into town looked like a disaster area. Area, You know, there was debris all over the streets, um, wood, icebergs. She was kind of blown away, like, oh, mom, look at that, look at that, look at that, oh, my goodness. Julia and Derek and their two kids never did get to move back into their house. For nine months, they have stayed with family and are now renting a temporary place. 
in October, their old home, where Derek had also lived as a kid, was demolished. Julie and I went and took took a video and watched as they tore it down. It was uh, it was pretty emotional, you know. Julie and I we started our family together in that house, and and you know I lived there when I was a kid, and we were planning on raising our family there. And so uh, when it came down, we just kind of watched and we kind of laughed and maybe cried a little bit. <laughs> I think I dealt with it using humor most of the time. And um, I cried one day, but then I was over it. <laughs> yeah, so being thankful that we had our family and that everyone was okay. You know, we had to accept that and sort of say goodbye to it and start looking forward to to the future. The future. In a new prefabricated home they're hoping to move into in the next month or two. They sent us plans and they gave us opportunity for our feedback. So we made a a few, requested a few revisions and negotiated um, a couple of changes. And we are losing space, but it's still, it's going to be beautiful, I think. Moving to higher ground was part of the deal to get the government to pay for a new home. They will move away from the heart of the community near the river, across the causeway and up the hill in the trees. So I will miss the river, but you know, I won't, I won't ever have to go through a flood like that again. So that's part of the perk, I guess. And you know, from the lot that we're on, the new lot, in the very back of the lot, if you look through the trees, you can see the river in the distance. And as for their six-year-old, who was curious about their iceberg-dotted street after the flood? She kind of had a breakdown one night when I was putting her to sleep. Just had a little cry, and I think it got it out of her system. And, you know, we keep talking to her about it and talking about the new house that's coming. And so she's getting prepared for that change again. And their baby, just little at the time of the flood, now only two. She doesn't even remember the old house. As the family has accepted the change that was thrust upon them by the flood, they've also had time to think about what might come of the land beside the river where their family home was located. I thought it would be a great idea for a a skate park. That area has a beautiful green space. And since it's so close to the river, it would be really easy to create drainage. I just really think it provides and healthy outlet for youth to express themselves and to enjoy the outdoors, get outside, socialize, challenge each other, you know, form friendships. Over the months since the flood, Sean Welly has been thinking about the future of Fort Simpson. He's the mayor of the village. I spoke to Welly back in May at Tent City by the fire, and I wanted to catch up with him about the lessons he's taking away, about what it means to live alongside a river in a world altered by climate change. Mayor Sean Welly, hello. Hello. Thinking back to last May, as the water peaked and receded, What was the moment you saw or understood the scope of the damage? Well, around day seven, um, when we experienced the highest water levels, 
and we knew then that uh, you know we we were going to see a lot of uh, written off homes in the community. Uh, everyone just got really emotional. I I almost cried. Like I just I, I just thought, wow, this is uh, this is my community really being destroyed by the river and uh, all we could do was pray at that point that it wouldn't get any worse. What were you seeing? What did it look like? Uh, just a sea of water where our town was. Uh, you know, there was, uh, there were trees and you could see tops of houses, but it just looked like water everywhere. The community is uh, about 1,200 people, about two-thirds of them living on Simpson Island, others uh, off-island and, and on higher ground. How many homes were damaged in the flood last May? There were probably around 75 homes um, down here on the island and about 10 businesses, business properties as well. And the worst ones being about 10 homes that were just destroyed to the point where they need to be replaced. Thinking about essential services, water, power, you lost power, but the water plant managed to continue operating. How do you think those systems could be made less vulnerable? Going forward, there has to be infrastructure changes for the village of Fort Simpson. We know that with climate change and changing weather patterns, more variability, we can expect these kinds of issues in the future. And right now, the power plant really sits right alongside of the river. It had to be shut down because water was, was filling up their yard full of water. Power poles in front of the power plant were were waving in the wind uh, when the ice and the water were coming up and the waves were, were washing away at the front of the power plant. I think the power corporation here has realized that uh, something has to be done as well. So there was a plan to place a new liquefied natural gas power plant on top of the hill as you come down onto Fort Simpson. The water plant, we've got to take a look at what we can do as a community as well. Our water plant sits right along the riverbank. It's probably more susceptible to just literally falling into the river. It's, it's on a fairly high bank, but that high bank receives a lot of the ice and flow from the river in the spring breakups and it's it's eroding backwards so we may need to relocate that and engineering wise i really don't know at this point what we can do uh, we may need to look for alternate space to to put that off island or but those are concerns and from a community planning perspective i think uh, we need to be thinking about how the community can grow perhaps more off the island the physical damage is one part of the flood and recovery, but there's also the emotional recovery. How has that been for the community? It has been sort of tough. After the flooding, we saw some uh, acting out by younger people. I, I, we saw some vandalism. We saw some arson. We saw a few deaths. Uh, alcohol related in some way, I would say. Um, it, it took a toll on the mental health of the community. It was very tough 
just at the time when people were were trying to get through COVID, recover from the flood. We anticipated some high water. We had no idea of what was going to happen to us. And if we hadn't stood together and really helped each other in the ways that we did, I, th I think it would have been a lot worse. Uh, but now on the back end, the recovery part of this, it's a tough slog. Uh, a lot of people <clears throat> have been through a lot. And, you know, there's only so much people can give of themselves and their own ability to help is, is slightly diminished here, I think. And so we're, we're struggling to make sure that everybody gets what they need here. Uh, we have uh, housing issues here. We had housing issues before the flood. We just had worse housing issues after the flood. We had addictions and other socioeconomic problems here before the flood. They just got worse after the flood. So we're coping and we're, we're also aware that people's mental health took a big hit. Uh, so as a community, that's really, that's a bit of a struggle, but we've got to look to making sure we help people in that area, not just physical things. Yeah. The most recent report on climate change from the United Nations recently came out. It says communities need to be prepared to adapt and decisions need to include uh, communities and indigenous groups, indigenous governments, not just, you know, larger government bodies. What are you doing to work with people in Fort Simpson and in particular with the Sidlankwain First Nation as you move forward? I think even... Uh you remember when you were up at Tent City yourself with uh, all of uh, the displaced people from Fort Simpson Island, and we, we sat around with uh, Chief Jerry Antoine at, at the time, and, and uh, I was sort of struck by his uh, comments that, you know, the First Nations didn't feel as involved in, in the planning and even the actual response to the flood situation and I you know given time I've, I've, I've kind of thought that this is not the way things can go in the future we we have to plan as a community we have to respond together and so as we get ready for another spring flood risk situation I, I'm making sure that we've got First Nation Indigenous participation in all of the planning activities that we're going to be undertaking. So really it, it's not just lip service. We have to have that kind of input and it, it helps in many ways. If you can't um, get the messaging out, for example, in the right way, because you don't have the right people on your emergency operations center and you create a lot of confusion you create a lot of distrust later on it started to feel like a little bit too many non-indigenous people making decisions for indigenous people and i i really want to see that change here so that is one thing that i have learned as a community we we can meet these challenges together if you were to look at fort simpson in 20, 30, 40 years? What, what do you think it would look like? I think that Fort Simpson Island will probably look much like it does today. 
the buildings will just be older. I don't think we'll see a whole lot of new developments on Fort Simpson Island because I think people have shifted in their thinking. We know we're not in a position to fight the river and it's not that kind of battle. It's just a relocate as much as possible, uh, mitigate. I think you'll, you'll see in 40 or 50 years, there'll still be a town down on this island. It'll look like an old town. But I hope that we'll have a rejuvenated, newer town off the island. <laughs> I think you will. Yeah. Mayor Welly, thank you very much for speaking with us. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Lauren. And uh, thank you to all your listeners. Now, one of the ways Mayor Welly describes the future of his community is as, as if he's a bird flying over in some number of decades. And it actually makes me think about the bird life after the flood, just wild and beautiful and musical. And I think it was a comfort to people at that time. Paper or plastic? Oh, I forgot my own bags. Um, plastic. No, wait, paper. Hang on, which one's better? I don't know. Don't stress, Neil. The podcast Living Planet is here to help. We know you want to do what's right for the planet, but you're busy and you have to make a thousand small decisions every day. So we endeavor to answer... What's better? Cotton or polyester? Tea or coffee? For answers to these environmental conundrums and your questions, subscribe to Living Planet wherever you listen to podcasts. I was reflecting on a conversation Marewelly mentioned that I'd had with him and then Thidlain First Nation Chief Gerald Antoine about how Dene knowledge can help Fort Simpson adapt. Gerald Antoine is now National Chief of the Dene Nation. National Chief Antoine, hello. Hello, good to hear your voice. Yeah, you too. Thank you very much for doing this. We're thinking about the power of the river and we're thinking about what happened last spring and we're starting to head into another spring melt in the coming months. Where is your head at heading into this spring and break up? Where I am at with uh, the sudden upheaval at the end of the spring thaw of last year, it really devastated us because it uprooted the families and also relocated the families. And as a result of that, it also triggered other colonial processes that have impacted on us. Where my mind is, uh, is that I just recently come back from Chitiquin and what I noticed there is that we have lots of snow. We have probably over four foot of snow. And having experienced the upheaval that happened last spring and looking at the thickness of the snow this year is the anticipation of having all the snow really started to add to the possibility of having another flood. And so it worries me how ready our community is on the possibility of another spring upheaval. You mentioned 
how much snow there is this year. I've heard from you and others about the snowpack in the mountains. You know, when you look out at the indicators, what are, what are you seeing with the snowpack and in the mountains in particular? Well, one of the indicators is the experiences that our elders have gone through, you know, the live experience. And they've consistently shared those things as honestly as they could. And I really like to thank these elders for that. And the other indicator is the scientific observations that people are using. Also with the climate change, it has impacted the things that we have known. And so uh, there is a bit of uncertainty there. Uh, So we need to work with our community families and we also need to have some discussions with red cross we need to look at how they could be able to assist us to really support and assist the communities in the preparation for this year when we spoke last may you know in the camp for evacuees around the fire you shared that the lowlands there, the Fort Simpson Island, where the flooding really took place, was not an area that Dene would have settled permanently. Why not? The knowledge that our people have, our people look at the land as a home. And so just like anybody that has a house, which they call home, they know all the things about their home. And so that's very true about Dene people, that they're very knowledgeable about their home. And the elders and the families of that area know that that place is a sandbar. And it developed and evolved over time with plantation. And also it became a dining room for the bears because of all that vegetation and the berries that are there. There's also a safe haven for moose to also have calving like that. And that evolved over the time. And so our people understand that and they know that. And when new people came, they felt that was a safe place and a very strategic place for their trading business. They never had any consultation uh, with the Dene people, they didn't have uh, the conversations that would have been nice to have, so that way they understand the terrain and the location of that island. So that also is a, a good learning point for us at this point in time, because moving forward, people need to understand that anybody that likes to do something from other places need to respect that this is the Dena home and that this Dena family needs to be worked with. Uh, it's not saying it in you know, a negative way or a threatening way. It's just that we need to work together to implement it so that way there is a balance for all of us. The fact that Dene knowledge and that perspective was left out and that area was settled. What does leaving that Dene knowledge out say about how Indigenous knowledge has been valued over time? According to 
our creation story were the original nation of families from here, from when the world was new. You have come here to the shore not knowing about these things here. And so when you come to visit somebody's home, then you are there as a guest, as a visitor. And so if you don't say anything to the people that you're visiting that took you in as a guest and you don't have any conversations, but you just go in their house and start doing things like you own it, then that is not a really good scenario. And that's that's what has unfolded, unfortunately. And so uh, we need to stop being disrespectful and to really acknowledge that this is somebody's home. And, you know, uh, this is something that is coming to light. You look at the unmarked graves. Our people have been saying these things, but just like we're not believed. Yes, we have knowledge. We have seen things, and these things are not right. And we need to sit down and uh, look at how we need to move forward to create a better future. And so I just wanted to remind people that we have always been here. Our visitors came and made a commitment 100 years ago. There is a special spirit and intent within this relationship. And this intent moving ahead needs to be implemented the way it has been intended. So today and last year, the land opened all of our eyes to the fact that our relationship is with the land and with ourselves. Now that we are together, we need to continue stepping forward together. And uh, I am reminded of a saying and of a poster that I saw as a young child. And it states, let's put our minds together for our children of tomorrow. And so uh, again, I'd like to thank everyone that stood up and the communities that opened up for us. National Chief Antoine, thank you very much for speaking with us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, Lauren. I saw a picture of us when you had interviewed me in a tent last year. And I really thank you for coming over to our community and asking people to share their stories. And thank you for giving me an opportunity. And I'd like to thank all our listeners for also stepping up and supporting us. And it shows that, you know, our lives matters and that we need each other because we're all in this together. So with that, Masi. Masi. Part of what stands out for me about what Denon National Chief Antoine says is something about the land as a teacher. And the longer I live here and learn from Dene friends and neighbors, the more I think about that and its applicability to the challenge of climate change, the land and the water as teacher. Hey, I want to say a big thank you to the What on Earth team for their guidance this week. Associate producers Serena Renner and Rachel Sanders, engineer Matthias Wolfson. 
This week, Molly Siegel is our senior producer. I'm Lauren McGinnis in Yellowknife, in for Laura Lynch. And thank you, Masi, for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.